everyone, and welcome to episode 677 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. Ready to go. Talk some comics. I am in a quandary, a conundrum, um, an issue, a something. Right. right? So I'm not sure what sort of... Uh, cell phone case cover you have i have i'm one of the rare guys who has a uh what do you it's like a sandwich it opens up you know what i mean yeah Uh, like a book i don't know they have a name for them and i can't think of what they're called It's like a bifold or something yeah yeah so i i'm typically an otter box guy not a sponsor you know Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if yours has this, uh, but I, I know every OtterBox that I, I have has this, where when it's not plugged into the charger, there's like a little thing that kind of like plugs in over the uh, the adapter for the charger. Right, to keep the, the, the gook out of it. Yeah, that fell off my uh, case, that little oh. tab. Oh, no. So I'm not sure, I still have it. Right, I still have the piece, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if I just keep that or I spend the eighteen dollars and buy a new case. Just keep the piece, and then when you thinking. lose it after the seventeenth yeah. time, buy a new case. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Just take a piece of tape, tape it to the case, and then tape it to that little piece when it's when it's in there, and then you'll have like a it's tethered with the you know securely with string. I'm gonna do that right now. See, I That's, I can engineer stuff. I think I got too big of a piece of tape. Hang on. This is arts and crafts section of the show, Joe. All right. This is scintillating conversation. Right. It you know, it it, it, liter- it literally broke in between recording of the shows. Oh no! Or it would have came up on the after dark. Right. The, the, I would have, I would, I would, sp- I would have spent a lean twenty minutes on this. Right, the episode of Broken Things. Yes. So uh, let's get into our show uh, for this week. Um, We are going to discuss the difference between embezzlement and not coming through on your... And and just straight-up thievery, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. We're going to get into uh, some convention stuff that's going on this weekend. We're going to get into what we read from this past week, which is uh, Saga 66, We Hardly Knew Ye, uh, Captain America number one, and Traveling to Mars number eight. Uh, We also have discussion of what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd and Joe have issues as we're getting toward the end, but not the end of Sandman. Uh, And there's a, oh, you know what? There's a funny bit I want to mention as well for a tease for... Uh, previewing the past next week in regards to this storyline. Okay. Uh, Follow-up, updates, etc. for the standings for the ESPN Pigskin Pick'ems. And the spoiler-filled discussion of the second-to-last third-to-last? Third-to-last episode, because we're always a week behind on uh, Ahsoka, right? Yeah, Ahsoka's probably streaming as we speak right now. Yes. Uh, well, listen, I, I I try to avoid spoilers, but I did see people saying, like, oh, my goodness, what a fantastic episode. And I'm just like, all right, everybody, calm down. That's right. What was it? Uh, have no chopper in it? 
Well, again, uh, not to dip too far ahead, and we say spoilers, but no chopper in last week's episode. So I don't know how I'm going to feel about that, you know? Right. Um, so let's get into the news. Now, this is something that was being whispered about last week uh, before it hit the news wires and the dirt sheets mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend. And I'm not going to get into – I'm go- we're going to discuss – what was reported how about that fair okay. enough so there is a fancy comic book slash coffee store in the greater buffalo area uh in uh the name of the store is pulp 716 okay and they're a two-time 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 eisner award-winning comic book shop mm-hmm and, you know, they're a, a small independent store, but they're a big store. And what they'll do is they'll uh, give their employees a budget of 100 bucks to go invest in new stuff, primarily mm-hmm. like a Kickstarter to invest in. Right. Mm-hmm. So it turns out one of the Kickstarters that one of their employees invested in was for this book called Sparrow. And it turns out that the creator of the book, instead of using the money uh, toward getting the book published, used the money to take care of some financial straits that their family was having. Right. Okay. So this then causes the store to put this person on blast and i'm only saying this person because that's the verbiage that the store used in their twitter the creator um a person by the name of and again i'm looking it up here kara hussett lists their pronouns as she her right so by pulp 716 putting as they say this person on blast for not delivering on their Kickstarter and being so blatant about saying like, well, I, we had this money, but we had a family emergency come up. So the book is being delayed. The store themselves took a lot of flack for misgendering Kara. Now there's two camps in which people came down on this. Of course, there was the camp that were behind Kara that was against the store uh, for misgendering her putting her on blast for whatever her financial straits were. And again, I'll say she Kara is also 22 years old, 23 years old. She's a young person. Maybe she got a little in over her head. I don't know the whole story in regards to what her personal situation is, just what she's put out there. Then the other side of it is how she's not a huge creator. She's definitely a creator on the come up, but her not delivering on this Kickstarter puts a negative light on other creators that are trying to because right. obviously we're talking about it here we're putting a light on it but it's not so much on the light of her not delivering on the kickstarter but it's more so on how the store handled the situation right in that there were some of the bigger name creators you know like a jimmy palmiotti and stuff like that who was like well you know a, situ- a situation like this stinks because i have nothing to do with this 
I've never not delivered on a Kickstarter, but something like this hits the news, and it's just a blanket statement for all Kickstarter comic book creators. Right. He kind of does a, a thing where it's like it's like blaming that every butcher shop for one butcher shop selling you bad meat kind of a thing. Right. You know what I mean? And then there's people that point out in the Kickstarter fine print that says, while you are contributing to this project, this by no means guarantees that you are entitled to the goods or services that you are kickstarting this project for, right? Mm-hmm. So then the social media for Pulp 716 puts on blast a bunch of other independent comic book creators now, or a bunch of in- people who work for other independent companies, Image, Boom, amongst a few other ones. And starts, because I guess they came out on the side of Kara, the creator, um, as opposed to the store. And Pulp 716 start bashing these people that work at these indie store, these indie companies. Mm -hmm. Saying that, well, if you're going to feel this way about me, the store, then I don't feel comfortable in putting your books on the shelves at my store. Right. And then... (laughs) Pulp 716 went and blew up their entire social media presence. Just wiped everything out. Right. So, why is this a story? Right? We're all in comics. We're all in comics in one way or another, whether we're a consumer of comics, like Todd and myself, whether we're a discusser of comics, like Todd and myself, or whether we're a creator of comics. Like, there's many people that we're friends with that are in the business, or creating stuff independently or otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up only because I don't feel either party is right, but I also feel that both parties were wrong. I feel as though this is something that could have been handled privately on both parts. Whatever the age of the creator Kara is, is notwithstanding, the people who run this store definitely handled things very poorly. And it just bums me out to see someone who touts themselves as like this alternative store and tries to give back and so forth. And all it took was one little tiny thing for to completely go off the deep end. Right. Oh boy. Let's see how Todd's going to react to this. Um, Let's see. I will say, I don't think, okay, take out whatever you want. Putting this putting this person on blast, I have no problem with. You know why? Because you know how many people I applauded putting Rob the Rob on blast for not fulfilling his Kickstarter for forever? So I'm sorry. It, you do a Kickstarter, you do not fulfill it. Anybody could say, did any, did, and you know what I mean? Do that. You have When it comes to putting a person on blast for that, got no problem fulfill your kickstarter if if you do for whatever reason you don't do it get ready for it because somebody's gonna do it um any of the other stuff I, like i don't i don't and i'm gonna say this because I'll, I'll gently walk around i don't understand a lot of gender stuff because i'm i'm old um so i don't know with that because in my mind misgendering is like did they in my mind did they even gender them because they said this person who's doing this this kickstarter is like okay if you had said he because they see them i don't know this is all confusing for me joe 
Right. All confusing for me. And, and I'm but, trying to hold your hand through something like this, Todd. Right. And I'm sorry I brought it up, but this is the way Todd's brain works. Yes. So mm-hmm. I, I, I can't speak for the store or person who was running their social media account. Um, I don't think that their intention was to misgender Kara, mm-hmm. but enough people felt that they did that they did. Right. Okay. So the, and like, obviously I didn't get into more of it that somebody at the store may have hired a criminal, like open up a criminal investigation against Kara for fraud mm-hmm. or embezzlement as some people might think it was. Right. Uh, you know, Kara has done everything that she can to kind of explain um, you know, why and that she still intends. It's just the timetable has been moved back. And I'll I will never count myself amongst a the Rob defender, but I will say that as a of uh, the Rob understander, when you mentioned about putting him on blast, mm-hmm. the Rob who has been in the comic book industry for 30 some odd years versus this person who isn't even 30 years old. It's, you know, it's six and one half a dozen the other. I get you. But I will say this. While the Rob did not deliver on his intended Kickstarter. Right. If you did meet him at certain conventions, he would give you the stuff if you were able to prove that you um, donated to his Kickstarter. And in between the time that the Kickstarter ended and the time that he never got around to sending out the stuff to you, he did lose the rights to a lot of those characters. So he was no longer legally able to fulfill the Kickstarter. Yep. So, right. I, I, right. <laughs> but I'm also saying, like, here's the way I look at it. I know it's art. It's yes. art. But if tomorrow you're somebody, you know, you took your car to be fixed and the person was 23 years old. The buddy was young, wasn't in the, the, the mechanical industry for, for 40 years doing cars. And they didn't fix your car or didn't or whatever person in any industry and didn't do it. You'd be upset just because it's a comic doesn't make it that you can go, oh, I'm I, you know, I had troubles and I get it. People should be more caring, but it's like and never like I'm with you. Both sides did 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 this wrong kind of a deal but when you don't get what you pay for i don't know i'm a i'm a terrible person that's the way i am so uh, so you bring up I, i'll only mention this because you bring up the car analogy right right my car that i have i had taken it to three or four different mechanics mm-hmm. who all were who all misdiagnosed an issue with um the engine right and it wasn't until the fifth mechanic that they were able to ones to finally fix it and it no longer be a problem. Now, are we going to get into the fact that the place that I bought it from took no responsibility for selling me a car where there was an engine with or the, an issue with the engine slipping? Right. No. Am I going to take into consideration the four people that I took it to beforehand for that specific issue? They told me they fixed it and then they didn't. Mm hmm. Am I going to take it into? Con- am I going to take them into consideration and put them on blast? I'm just not going to give them my business anymore, and it's okay. on me, the consumer, to be able to like, well, I took it to you, I paid you X amount of money, and you told me you were going to fix the problem, and you didn't. I'm just going to take it somewhere else to have them fix the issue. Whereas this comes to an issue of, I donate to a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. they do not deliver on the product. 
that doesn't mean I'm never doing a Kickstarter again. I'm just never dealing with that person again. Now, should I then tell other people of this? That's where you get into a sticky situation. Privately, absolutely. Publicly, situation by situation. Okay. Fair enough, you know. I I think back to a Kickstarter, and this was many, many years ago. And I got no problem discussing this, because it was a much larger Kickstarter, and it was a much larger creator than this. This was maybe about, um, it might have been a little bit more than that. It's, let me see here. Um... Again, I appreciate your patience here. Oh, I'm fine. Uh, so this is a Kickstarter. Um, yeah, it's been about 11 years, so I feel comfortable talking about it, right? Right. Uh, it was a book called Sullivan's Sluggers by uh, writer Mark Andrew Smith. I don't know if you remember this. No, I've never okay. even heard of it. Okay, so it was a big, giant, oversized graphic novel. Um, the Kickstarter itself got, like, it was a $6,000 goal that he ended up getting to $97,000. Mm-hmm. And I think from the time the Kickstarter completed to the time that people got their uh, things was seven years. Okay. So... This guy was doing other stuff, and he was putting his story out there of everything that was going on. And obviously, this care this creator that we're talking about, Kara, couple hundred dollars, maybe close to a thousand or two, as opposed to this guy who got almost a hundred thousand dollars to put out his comic, and it took him seven years to get there. Now, granted, mm-hmm. everybody still got their thing. And it said, you know, you would get your turnaround time in like 12 months or whatever it was and end up being seven. I just learned my lesson and I'll never contribute to that guy's Kickstarter ever again if he ever does one. Right. Okay. Yeah. But wouldn't you, and now like there are ways to do it and that's the way to do it. But wouldn't you be like, well, this person, in case this person ever does a Kickstarter again. This person never fulfilled. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if, if we were talking and somebody like those people who misdiagnosed your car, you wouldn't tell me, don't take your car to that person. I would. Well then that's the way I look at things. You know what I mean? I get you. And, but as we say now I'm playing, uh, like, you know, and there's no flexibility. That's what, what the way we're talking, but obviously, yes, these two parties, when like the, the 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 missiles started flying and it's like we could have handled this better yes i 100 percent agree with that yeah. but i i don't know i don't want i don't want to dig myself too deep of a hole here i don't think you are this is bring, coming up because it was this was information that was given to me off the record last week hit the news wires like i said bringing it up on the show just more so as a cautionary tale to you, the listeners, be mindful about who you're supporting and be mindful in the way that you're kind of handling uh, any sort of issues with other people online. You know, it's a different world today than it was 11 years ago or even 11 months ago. 
That being said, every Kickstarter or Indiegogo I've ever done, I've received. Right. So. I, uh, like I said, that, 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 uh, that Sullivan Sluggers one, like I said, I got it the seven years later, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but I got it. So, (laughs) so that's the news. Let's get into some conventions of the light week for conventions. I think everybody knew I was closing my pool this weekend. (laughs) Um, the only, uh, convention of note this weekend is the beer city comic con in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, they are touting themselves as uh, what? It, what is on their merchandise? Uh, the world's smartest Comic Con. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, some of the folks that are going to be there: uh, Frank Cho, Kyle Higgins, M- Mark Russell, and Fred Van Lente. Fred Van Lente, where have you gone? I don't know. He's busy. I just don't think he's doing anything in the comic book uh, sphere that I see these days. You know, I, mm-hmm. I miss Fred Van Lente. But the uh, links to that will be in the show notes, of course, along with information about soon to be named network uh, at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows in the soon to be named network go live, of course, you can find them at their own individual sites. Of course, you can find them however it is uh, you pod catch things these days. But of course, you have the one stop shop for all of your needs. Soon to be named network.com, whether it be this show that you're listening to right here, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Final Wrestling pa- Place, We Need Wrestling, Add Odds with Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, Hayabusi, which we've been being teased by like four days now for Ed of a new episode coming out. He's probably too busy buying his new Switch. Uh, and, of course, anytime any one from these shows appear on any other shows, of course, you can find them there. Uh, I, myself, Todd, uh, was on a podcast this past week. Uh, it was Tic Tac Yo 90s. Tic Tac 90s Yo, I think the name of the show was. Okay. Uh, it was a uh, hype-up show for this uh, past weekend's return of yo remember the 90s which is a youtube show part of the dabble verse um and i played a uh, 90s trivia against some uh, other listeners of the great dabble verse it was a youtube only show so if you want to see my smiling face without a hat on go check that out right are you going to spoil if you want or not here uh, no, Adam did spoil it for himself off air, but uh, I will not spoil it here. Uh, go check out my appearance on uh, Tic Tac 90s Yo! and uh, tell Cardiff to come on my podcast. Okay, Cardiff. That's where they filmed Doctor Who for a while in England. No, there's a, no? There's a different guy. It's not okay. Wales. He's gotcha. from, he's from uh, Minnesota. Right. Meant to say the UK, not England. But go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, but hey, check out some of our other friends and stuff that they're up to in and around the internet, of course. Uh, go check out our friend Mike Sterling's blog at ProgressiveRuin.com. Go check out our friend Kevin's blog at MassLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Go check out Jason Sandberg's Jupiter uh, a la carte at his Indiegogo. Go check out Chris Runt's Battle Mod 
monsters, both these gentlemen, longtime listeners of these shows, supporters of us, and vice versa, of course. But you can buy uh, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters at FortressOfComicNews.com, where he also does a podcast there as well. Uh, friend of the show, member of the band. Would you call him a member of the band, or is he the lead of the band? I don't know. I think he might be the face of the band, Joe. The face? The face. I think that's all he wants to be remembered for is the being the face of the band. Uh, Young Dave and artist Rosovia, their self-published book uh, is available at keepercomic.bigcartel.com. And if you do not have a comic book store in your area or you do not have a good comic book store in your area, uh, maybe your comic store recently blew up their social media presence. Uh <laughs> Let our comic book store be your comic book store. That's Comics on the Green. Uh, We have the Facebook page listed there. Uh, That's when Dave and the crew will let you know anytime the new releases are in, because they're in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays these days. Thanks, Lunar. Uh, Anytime a new collection of (laughs) mint Silver Age books just happen to fall in Dave's lap. Uh, He usually does a tour of those. And uh, there's always pictures of Max available on the Facebook page. And the next time you're in talking about silver, uh, Mm. not silver age, ask them them at the store if they've bought any silver uh, lately. Not silver age, but actual silver. Right. They keep getting Uh, emails from certain uh, old, uh, uh, (laughs) like, people from certain networks selling silver, and they get them, like, four times a day. Like prospectors? No, from, I think it's, is it Hannity, maybe, that he's getting them from? I don't know. Somebody's selling silver. Oh, I know Alex Jones sells gold. Right. Well, this person's selling silver, trying to out Alex Jones, Alex Jones. Well. And they were at the store today. Did we buy all the silver we needed today? (laughs) So. I don't think there's enough spec trucks in the world to out Alex Jones, Alex Jones. But uh, you certainly can sign up. For uh, their mail order subscription service, get your books mailed to you monthly, weekly, bi-weekly. And if you do, there's a good chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky. And you can check out her commissions, her process, her prints, all of her fancy art that she does on her social media. That's all linked up here in the show notes as well. Yes. All right. So, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you, Todd, like to begin? I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was Captain America number one, um, written by J. Michael Straczynski, art by Jesus Saez. Um, and this is, you know, the uh, book about Captain America, Steve Rogers, jumping back and forth as we go. We get some flashbacks, but he's living in the apartment building that he kind of lived in when he was a kid with his mother before she passed away. And he finds out that they're selling it. So he ends up, you know, putting some favors in so he could be landlord Steve Joe. Um, and he, he basically gets the building and it's, it's interesting how he runs it and how, you know, he's constantly working that, that, that work ethic that he has, he's trying to make it better and he's trying to be captain America at the same time and how he helps out people who like are down and out and the thing, let's just put it this way. Everything Steve does is very Steve Rogers like to me in this book, along with, you know, the book starts right out with Steve on a motorcycle with the shield on his back. I'm like, that's the way I visualize Steve. Um, he like, he has adventures with the FF and it's, it's, it's all great. And we, we 
get a question from somebody who was like, oh, your mother died when you were 14-ish, if, if that's close to the number, and you didn't be, like, we didn't hear about you about Captain America until you were 18. So, like, what happened in those years? And as he's kind of thinking about it, it's like him being without his mother, trying to raise money, trying to, you know, eat and stuff like that. And then in the end, it's kind of like, oh, well, I found a place for food and we find out what it is. And I thought that was completely interesting that, like, they were kind of bringing him in. And it's maybe Steve doing We might get a story of Steve doing Captain America stuff when he was down and out, Steve, at 14 to 18, like infiltrating stuff. And I thought that would be kind of cool. And then there's also a subplot with the villain who we don't know who it is, who's kind of this creature who's trying to take over the world with Ames' help. And the one person is Ames, like, they tell the story off camera, and they're like, that's a new and interesting take on a plan I've never heard before. We're in. And I'm like, okay, I want to know that plan. And all the while, this book just looking beautiful and colored beautiful. Um, Jesus, like, crushes it as Cap. Uh, everything I love. This was the perfect first issue to Captain America, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I saw. I, I like this a lot too. I saw some people criticizing this, um, saying like, "Oh, Steve, Lo- Steve Rogers is a landlord now. Landlords are bad." I can only think of one bad landlord. Right. I know it's it- definitely a good one. I know personally, but anyway. <laughs> well, anyway, never mind. Right. Um, but I think it was it, it was an interesting way to put Steve into the situation, of course, to tell the narrative of the story of like, this is the house that he grew up in. We're going to get that backstory stuff. And it's going to be this, you know, this multi-tiered story that we're going to have going through a lot of this where, you know, as Todd mentioned, we have the current day stuff of cap doing current day cap things, the flashbacks to see how even before he had the super soldier serum, you know, we get to see cap as a, you know, 98 pound weakling still having, that intestinal fortitude that makes him cap today, right? Mm -hmm. And the new villain. And if the worst thing that comes out of this book is that they decide to do whatever they can to make AIM an A-level threat in the Marvel Universe, like, then we got a successful story, right? Yep, yep. I, I will say the only nitpick I have about the book, and it's a nitpick that happens when it's like me or you as an older person reading books for so long, is I feel that this is a carbon copy of, like, we're already in the mold of that Hawkeye book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, now we get, oh, all the people who live in the building, and maybe Cap will get a one, you know, instead of a one-eyed dog, you get a one-legged dog, like uh, Nightwing. But no, you know what I mean? Like, I'm getting intense Hawkeye vibes from it already, um, but that's because there's only so many new ideas, and I'm like, okay, as long as we don't go exactly like Hawkeye, we'll be okay. Copy an A, get an A? That's what I was thinking, too, but... uh I uh, this and I don't say this often. This Captain America book gets the Todd nod as far as yeah. I'm because it was very lighthearted Cap. Like it wasn't like angst ridden and like just like deep dives into why America's horrible or great or whatever. It was like Cap just like I just want to help people, and I'm like, God, I miss that in comics, you know? Yeah. And there was some there was some fun stuff in there like to pay for the building and everything. Uh, uh, Steve calls up Tony Stark to get a loan against his Avengers salary. You know, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so like there was cute bits like that. Um, and again, I don't think it was intentionally funny, but um, I, I, how about we tiptoe around the end of the the end of like the flashback storyline of uh, I guess a lot of people will do a lot of things for a ham sandwich. Yep. Well, you know, you, you know, you can't be too careful with ham sandwiches, Joe. That's right. But this is a fun book, and you mentioned the art. I thought Jesus Sayas' art was really good uh, in this. I don't love him as much as you do, but it definitely, like, he draws a great cap. He draws a a colorful, poppy uh, action scene, and I think it was no mistake that the the Fantastic Four were chosen because I don't know who the colorist is on this, and again, I apologize. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the blues in this book, especially pop. So you have Matt, Cap with the red, white, and blue, and then you have the FF with their blue as well, of course. Yep. And it's the, uh, colorist is Matt Hollingsworth does a great job, um, on it. And like, yeah, the only thing that I would have liked was a certain group of Italian villains, Joe. Ah, uh, yes. Well, tune into the Patreon show for that. Uh, but what was it? The good-looking Italians. It was. Is they what were it was the perfect called? young Italians, Joe. Perfect young Italians. Right. Maybe that'll be an issue two. Right. You don't give it away in issue one. You build no. it up. Maybe that's who AIM is going to go get. You know. Yes, that's what their plan is. Mm-hmm. No one's ever mentioned this before. Right. So then we have Saga sixty six to talk about, right? Uh, so this book uh, was late by about two months, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples, right? As always. And we'll get to the lateness and the future and the everything else of this. Um, but we get some returns of some familiar faces, some folks that we saw at the beginning of this return arc uh, when they were off for quite a while. But we get a little bit of the backstory of one of the people that have been after Alana for all this time, right? Right. And this story deals in themes of forgiveness and violence and breaking the cycle. And at this point, with a book that it's issue six of a six-issue story arc that's already laid itself, I don't know how much more I can get into it other than after 66 times of us talking about Saga, if you're not reading it by now, I'm not really sure what could get you on it. Right. Um, I, I would certainly hope that eventually somebody checks it out, like start from the beginning, read it up to now. I think you'll be thoroughly uh, pleased. But that's really all I have to say about like the material of the book itself. Mm-hmm. But I have more about what comes up in the letters pages. Okay. Um, anything you want to say about the story itself? Cause no, I thought it was interesting because like it, it was a lot of the side characters that come back and, and the, the stuff with the forgiveness and revenge plots and stuff like that. I, I, I get, and I like the one thing I, f- I felt like, especially after two month hiatus and then, you know, it's, it was off for so long. This felt like one of the quickest reads in saga history. I yes. felt like I read this book and blinked. And now I'm not saying the book was bad, but I think it's a bad thing to that be the last thing on your mind going into a hiatus. It, it just not that you that I was, but that can kind of make you feel shortchanged. Like, oh, it was really quick. Now I have to wait how long for the new book? Whatever. I don't know. It's just a, a bad taste if you get my meaning. Right. And a big thing about it, I think, as you mentioned, is 
Um, the fact that our main characters, Alana and the kids, were not in this issue at all, except for like a brief flashback at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there wasn't much of anything else of our main players in the story. It was, as you said, either side characters or characters that we haven't seen in quite some time. Right. Now, letters page. Usually I peruse the letters page in Saga, right? Mm-hmm. This time, again, they had the costume contest winners, which, you know, I definitely checked all that stuff out. But we did get almost like a full page from Brian K. Vaughn about what's been going on. He mentions that the writer's strike did put a little bit of a damper on this issue getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always forget that that he has issue 108 in mind as the last issue of the story. Right. So we're like a little under two thirds of the way done. We got about 42. And if I do my gazintas on six there, you know, that's what, five, seven more trades that would be. Right. Um, he, he also mentions that depending on how the strike goes, they're looking at return at the beginning of next year. Their goal is at least six issues a year, hopefully be able once everything kind of gets back to normal to do nine issues a year. Okay. So again, it's good that as a creator here, he's being somewhat transparent in regards to, Here's why we're late. Here's our end goal in sight. Here's what we're can almost guarantee for next year. But here's what we're hoping to finally get to eventually. um, If, you know, everything kind of starts returning back to normal. And again, him being in the the writer's guild, of course, you know, it kind of changes his work schedule. And, you know, you would think he's looking at other forms of income if he can't be doing movies and TVs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, but like I said, just just getting that additional information from a creator like this on a book like this, I thought was very refreshing. Yeah, um, that all that being said, with, with the light at the end of the tunnel, I was reading, I think maybe it was just today. I don't know if it was, if it was yesterday because my time is all wibbly wobbly lately, is that they said that uh, they, that they've come to a tentative agreement. Uh, the writer's strike. So hopefully, you know, they can hash all that out. You know, obviously they're like, in general, we kind of have an agreement. Now we just have to put it in writing. So hopefully uh, that'll be over and everybody can get back. Uh, both Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples and everybody else can get back to making some cash, you know? Yeah, for sure. And then one more book uh, at Todd's behest. Uh, we're talking about a blaze publishing's traveling to Mars number eight. Uh, written by Mark Russell with art by Roberto Melli. Right. Um, so basically, like the main character who's you know has a terminal disease is trying to get to Mars as he always been for the for the rights to stuff on Mars for this you know at this point we could say the meat place the pat the meat company because all the resources are gone and yeah, the, first person, the, e, the easy beef corporation yes right uh the first person gets there gets the rights to it and uh you know the resources on earth are kind of used up that's kind of the, the the quick elevator pitch so these are his uh you know last days in the ship and now it's down going down 
into uh, Mars to actually set foot and plant the flag kind of a deal. But we get like his last phone call home that he's going to be able to do for the most part. And it's how bad, again, things have kind of gone off the rails. Um, And him with his little uh, robot buddies who aren't sassy but are like somber kind of a deal because they don't know. I like him getting them ready to go down and do it. And if he's, you know, him thinking about what it's going to be like once he does get there and then it's his time on the planet is, is short, but he has stuff set up to kind of survive as long as he can. And then a new, like, he gets greeted by something, which I thought was interesting. And then the ramifications of what is said to him <laughs> it, I, it just changes the book as far as I'm concerned. Right. So, again, Todd's being very uh, uh, spoiler-free in regards to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is something that Mark Russell has said, like, this is going to go for as long as I want it to go. But we do know now with the December solicitations coming out that this is ending with issue 10. Right. Right. Um, If this don't feel like a second to last issue cliffhanger, I don't know what does. Exactly. Um, You know, and obviously this is a a lot of this story deals with uh, the main character kind of um, coming to terms with who they are and what they are and what their purpose at this point is. Um, You know, they, they have their last meal or at least what they think is their last meal. Um, we get the crash landing of the rover on Mars. There's discussion. I forget if it was in this issue or the issue before that he's really been wanting to get that last conversation with his wife or his ex-wife, right? Yep, yep. Um, but he's kind of developed a friendship, not so much with the people from the Easy Beef Corporation, but with the one doctor who's been helping him. And they they, they have a conversation about um, if Mars could be terraformed. That's my favorite part of this issue. Yeah. Um, so they get into like stuff like that. And there's so much about this book on that end. The science stuff, the atmosphere of Mars, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Really feels as though Mark Russell isn't just pulling these numbers out of anywhere. That he looked these things up. got like There should be footnotes of where he pulled this information from. Because it feels real. Yep. And that's that's the one thing Mark Russell, I would say, is, you know, a great comic book writer. You know, we've talked before about his Wonder Twins book, the One Star Squadron stuff. When he does superhero stuff, he really adds that satirical edge to it. But it's these slice of life sort of things, these kind of, you know, I don't want to say apolitical because there's definitely a political bent to the stuff that's going on with this, Um, you know, kind of holding a mirror up to today's stuff. You know, uh, Rumpus Room just came out this past week. Sadly, we did not get a chance to read it because dis 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 distribution problem. Jeez. <laughs> but uh, any of his stuff that he does, like, has this satirical edge to it, but also a factual edge that, like, really makes you, uh, like, he, he's doing a lot to change what you could do with a comic book. And, like, this is somebody who got the got the gig years and years ago at DC to do a Flintstones book mm-hmm. and did like a working class like rebellion book, you know? Right. And didn't he do a Snagglepuss book that was basically 
like for gay rights too yes. or something like that, which is like amazing, you know, because I want to go back and read those. But I will say this, the thing I like about uh, traveling to Mars most, and I've said it probably before into this mic, is that this book is, a to me, this book is inherently about regrets. That's what this book is about. Whether you regret like what's happened to the planet, whether you regret what you've done with your life. And at 50 years old, Joe, I have more regrets than hope at this point. Um, and I don't know, this book really resonates with me at, with that kind of a, a thing. And I just, I have like a, I have a, what's the word? I have this, uh, the end of this book, um, basically written in my head now that where I want it to go, but hopefully if it doesn't, it'll still live up to, you know what I mean? So we'll see. Mark Russell does a good job at planting those seeds of just maybe what you would think would be a throwaway line or a throwaway conversation mm-hmm. um, that end like in issues two or three in a story like this that ends up being 10 issues uh, that he comes back to at the end of the book to kind of wrap everything up in a nice little bow. Right. Right. And um, oh, go ahead. I have one other I, thing. It's not about the book, but it's about, you know, Mark, it's unrelated to Mark Russell, but it's related to Mark Russell right. and it's about distribution stuff, but go ahead. Right. The only thing I do want to say is, do you care if I tell you what I think is going to happen or do you not want to know? Let's, uh, is it super spoilery? No, I don't know if it's going to happen. If it does happen, then I'm right. You know, in the okay. next two issues, but I think his wife is one of the convicts or last people that they sent to try and stop him. And sh- they're going to have their moment on Mars. I okay. Think, I don't like she, her regret is going to be like, after I left you, I messed up. And this was my second chance. Okay. He's going to have a chance to talk to her. I think she's going to land on the planet with like murdering freaks too, but that's a whole other story. So we get like this big issue eight cliffhanger mm-hmm. and maybe that'll be like the big issue nine cliffhanger. Probably. Yes. Yeah. All right. I have no proof of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's how, how would I know? But he talks so much about his wife. I don't think he's going to get the phone call. I think she's actually going to show up. Okay. I like that thought process. All right. But, um, any, but the distribution problems. Distribution problems. So one of the other books that Mark Russell was doing was a book called Dead Box. And it was a book that was very heavily de- delayed uh, due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And just within the last month, popping up on not order forms but on shipping lists so it was a five issue miniseries one two three four five issues issues one two and three came out Mm -hmm. uh, about three years ago issue four just showed up on shipping list this week and the trade of all five issues okay so they're not doing a single issue of five but they're collecting the whole thing Wait a minute, isn't this uh, Inferior 5 all over again? This is Inferior 5 in reverse. Oh, okay, that's right, yeah. In that, uh, it was suppo- it was supposed to be five issues, it didn't get finished, and then the collection got ch- canceled. This was to be a five-issue miniseries. If you have the single issues, you'll get four, but if you want five, got to buy the trade. Right. I don't think Mark Russell's the one making those decisions. And I don't recall them. I I certainly got the notification that the original solicitations were moved and canceled, but I never got the notification of the resolicitation of issue four or the or the initial solicitation of the trade. So I just got to keep my eyes peeled for it. 
So you're just going to pretty much get the trade and not worry about the issues that don't, you know what I mean? I'm just going to get the trade. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. when we did inferior five, um, they, they, they never finished those issues and they went in the trade. So I was like, Oh, I, but I have all of them because I was buying them as they went. But yeah. now it's like, Oh, well I didn't see three and four came out or whatever numbers you have. It's like, I'm not going to buy them. I'll just buy the trade. I was wondering how much of a completist you were is basically what I was asking. Being that I physically can't complete the single issue collection. Right. Right. I have no choice. You know what? I'm glad I kind of tapped out. That one was one of the few Mark Russell's that didn't do it for me on the first first issue. I get you. I got the second one. So I tapped out. The other one was, what was the one about the robot uprising? Not all robots. Right. That was one that I didn't finish. And then Billionaire Island was another one that I didn't finish. But everything else, you know, I've kind of... <laughs> <laughs> kind of got on and and anything else that he's done i i really love so i get you uh so that's what we read from this past week let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week uh every week around or every tuesday around noon eastern time we put up the poll post which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week whether you get your books in trade whether you get single issues whether you hope that all the single issues come out and you don't have to worry about getting the trade Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am still in the lead over Todd with one correct guess. Mm-hmm. I'm got, I got my fingers crossed. I think the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week is the flash. Number one. It is, but it isn't. I'm going to give you the point. All right. Because it's a flash number one. I'll always read it. I'll always read it. But I have no hope in this book, Joe. Um, because we, we read the 800 and it had yeah. the preview in it and I didn't care for it. And then they keep advertising it and like on Twitter, like with like interviews and stuff, that it's the anatomy lesson for Flash. And that, are you ready for cosmic horror with Wally West? And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not ready for cosmic horror. Like, everything you're saying about this book makes me not want to read it. Because I'm a, but I'm a Flash fan, I'm going to get it. But man, oh man, I just, it does not sum it up for me, cosmic horror. And when you try to tell me that it's going to be on par with one of the greatest comic issues ever written. Like, you've just set a high bar for yourself. So, so, so I got the point. Um, you know what? I'm going to take it away. Uh, yeah, I'll give you the point. I'll give you the point. Um, is the book you're looking forward to most, Joe? Um, the Marvel Unleashed number two. It is Marvel Unleashed number two. Um, a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, any Kyle Starks book is going to be supported here. Um, you know, we mentioned before Mark Russell's stuff. The end of Second Coming Trinity is this week, which would be a great one, of course, as well. Um, I, I really we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I really like Penguin number one. So Penguin number two could have been on there, you know. I um, one made me tap out. Really, I liked all the Penguin stuff until I got the the to the detective who had sass mouth until they were shot, and now they can't cur- like it. That detective, that that female detective, was so Grant Morrisony. I had to tap out. Okay, that's that totally took me out of the book, and then that's why I didn't get Wonder Woman 
um, I'm kind of uh, pulling myself back on Tom King stuff, unless he does a human target prequel, and I'm all in. <laughs> you might be talking. Like I liked issue one. We'll see how issue two goes. But uh, Flash was not on my poll list, but for the same reasons that you mentioned, I'm, I'm picking up issue one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Attell in his stand-up has a great bit. You know what I love, Todd? What? Cotton candy. Mm-hmm. You know what else I love? What? Scotch whiskey. You know what probably doesn't go well together? <laughs> Cotton candy and scotch whiskey. Right. You know what I love, Todd? I love the Flash. Mm-hmm. He's running around. He's in a red suit. He's taking on the rogues. You know what else I love, Todd? Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Anatomy Lesson, one of the greatest stories ever in comic book history. Should these two things mix, Todd? Oh, You're going to we'll find see. out this We'll definitely see. Yeah, we're definitely going to find out. So I, I'm going in with an open mind. Um, I, I definitely think it's an interesting take, and I feel as though uh, creatively, other creators are behind this. Creatively, the news media is behind this, mm-hmm. and creatively, DC is behind this, or they would be publishing it mm-hmm. um, and giving it like the push and the press that they have been over the last, like, almost month, it seems, with this book, right? Yep. Um, so It's going to look nice. It's going to look, look Diodato. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Ready for some cosmic horror at super speed, Joe? No, I'm not. Okay. I like my cosmic horror to be nice and slow. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so, uh, that's, uh, you know, of course, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, uh, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and of course, the current ongoing uh, Todd and Joe Have Issues, as we are doing a full reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, not just the full run of the mainline book, but the ancillary titles, the one-shots, uh, miniseries, anything that's written by Neil is getting dealt with here. Um, And I do just want to mention, as a bit of a preview for previewing the past, Mm -hmm. uh, right? Uh, So in the uh, splash page, the news section, right? Right. Uh, In the upcoming issue of previews that we'll be discussing, I want to read this write-up here about Sandman, okay? It says, some things are endless. Unfortunately, Neil Gaiman's Sandman isn't one of them. In Sandman 57, readers will start down a winding narrative path that terminates blank issues later. Not in Destiny's Garden, but in the de facto conclusion to this award-winning fantasy series. The Kindly Ones uh, represents the final major, underlined, Sandman storyline is a long toll or a time long foretold in the dreaming arrives. And they say it again in this blank part storyline. They give a number the Corinthian, Lucifer, the three witches, Colrican and Nuala, Mervyn Pumpkinhead, and others. In short, a host of old friends and ancient enemies gather for a mystic conflagration. That will forever alter the future of the endless and the ultimate fate of the dreaming. Okay. 
And it says, however, following the conclusion, the kindly ones, Sandman will continue in the form of self-contained epilogues and standalone stories all by Neil Gaiman. Okay. This is October of 1993 for a book that's coming out in December of 1993. Issue 57 of Sandman. The header on the thing says the death of Sandman twice in this write-up. How many issues is this story arc, Todd? It was 13, obviously, as we reported on this. But in that ad? Yes. Six? Four. Oh, four. I would have, I, I bet the over, <laughs> I was reading that. I'm like, four. I go, that, well, that's, the, that's the wake. <laughs> that's not kindly ones. That's the wake. Joe, that's. That's oh, three times that, and one more was what the kindly one was. That's math, son. You can't argue with that. Oh, my God. When I saw that, when I was doing this, putting the scans up on the Patreon today, and I saw that, I'm like, four. All right. I think Apparently, I read have... something else. I got, the, I got the extended cut, I guess. Well, I don't know. You got the, you got the, the gaming cut? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, let's get into issue 71 here. Again, 4 plus 57. Anyway, let's get to issue 71 here. And yes, uh, like I said, this is a lot of times where I usually just sit back and let Todd handle the chores. But I have a feeling I might need to chime in more often than not. Mm-hmm. And also, as we come off that jovial talk, we're going to get right into two of the most jovial issues in the history of Sandman. Oh, boy. Um, so Wake 70, uh, Sandman 71, The Wake, obviously Neil Gaiman, drawn by Michael Zuli. And before we even start, I found out, you know, why the art looks so good. I was looking into this, did a journalism. Um, it's because he Neil begged DC not to let them ink Michael Zuli, just work from the soft pencils. And that's why the art looks like it does, Joe. Okay. And that's fa- fantastic. I never realized that, even looking at the 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 Sandman, the, the Alice Cooper stuff I have, that I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's not inked either. So uh, I think that helps with the, the look of the book. Um, so it starts out with the endless... Um, that are left alive, uh, building basically where they're going to have the wake and the funeral, and uh, everybody's starting to show up. Uh, they're here, you're here, the book even says, um, and we're starting to see familiar faces as it's kind of cool that we see the two people from, you know, I think they popped up twice in the book that they were servants for Sandman at meals and stuff like that, and uh, it's kind of a nice nod for nostalgia and it only gets better. And I like that. He tells her, uh, I'm sorry, you're crying. He's like, I'm not crying. I'm bleeding. And it's like, Oh, Oh boy. Um, so we get to see Daniel, uh, Oh, I'm going to call him dream. Um, you know, asking about the wake and he's like, I can't, can't attend. They're like, no, you can't, you can't see your family until the, the, the funeral is over. Um, and Lucian's like, so I have to go and he just go with my blessing. Um, and I like that Eblis is talking with Lucian. He's like, well, if that was dream, then who, who died? He's like, well, that is dream. And, th- and dream did die. He's like, so who died? I don't understand. He's like, nobody died. You can't kill an idea. Um, he's more of a per- personification than an action. 
And I like when he's like, so then what are we mourning? And Abel says a point of view, which is a nice little nod to when Sandman was talking about the facets on the emerald, how an emerald is uh, a thing. But if you look at it different ways, it's part of a whole, if you get my meaning. Uh, Nice nod to that. Uh, So, and obviously, so uh, uh, Abel says this and Kane is ready to, you know, go into a fury. And Lucian is there to stop him and to just say, not today. Right, which is a nice touch because, like, even Kane gets it. You know what I mean? Yes. It's not going to happen. So now we get to, obviously, Calliope and some other people. And that first panel that's on this page, Joe, do you know why I love this panel so much? Uh, Why do you love this panel so much? Everyone that we know of that's alive that dated Sandman, Morpheus is in that panel. Hmm. Thessaly's on the right. You can see yeah. her with the glasses. The Queen of Fairy has the black dress with the red bows. Calliope's there. And even Nod is there, reincarnated as the little Chinese kid. What a touch, huh? Yeah, like I didn't know if you I'm not trying to be funny. I didn't know if you knew that, but like I just find that like it's even though the, the Chinese child doesn't really talk in it, it's a great shot to see all of them there. And as the book goes on, we get uh, their point of views uh, with how they saw each other. And like Calliope goes into this long bit, like uh, how he was and how he was like, it, it, how fresh it was in the beginning and how he, she was like, he would show her the realm and every treasure and kind of a thing. Um, and then he kind of, you know, was kind of his own guy. And he thought the baby, she, they had the baby Orpheus and it would bring them closer together. Um, but it kind of didn't. Uh, and when it went sideways, she was like, oh, he could have helped them, but it, it didn't. And, you know, I kind of hated him, but, you know, uh, I told him I him, but I still loved him. Uh, and it's just an interesting take as I don't know if you have any notes on on, on that, but it's interesting to see the, her version of what happened, you know. So it's interesting to see, you know, she gets so much time devoted to her as this. And obviously she was the uh, mother of his only child. But before they have a child, she's talking about how things started to uh, change between them. Mm -hmm. But the Sandman that she is talking about before she has a child sounds like a very different person than we've ever seen. But uh, yeah, but I also wonder if that's her view, like in love, you know what I mean? Because I don't feel that Morpheus was ever what she said, because there's a later part when we get to Thessaly, I'll uh, kind of come back to what kind of Calliope says. Um, So we see Matthew kind of flying over the wake and he's talking to like uh, humans. And I like that they say everything that's going to happen. He's like, how do you know? It's like, it's just the way you know in a dream. It's just the way, you, you know, you know, uh, the, these random things and the things that they give are all cool ideas of like weird stuff that could happen into a, a dream. And he ends up running into Mervin and he's like, Oh, you're supposed to be dead. He's like, I, I've never felt better. And Matthew kind of loses it. He's like, you know, they killed you. And he's like, ah, Everything's fine, um, and he's, he, can't, he can't grasp. He doesn't like the the way things are going on, and this is the first person who kind of offers 
uh, Matthew a drink, which is a reoccurring theme, which is kind of bad for because Matthew because he was he died in a drunk driving accident. So uh, that's that's weird. Um, so he goes and he ends up seeing uh, Dream, this version of Dream, um, and he's kind of you know the, the 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 funeral and he's talking about that you were my friend and he doesn't kind of want anything to do it. He's like he was my friend, um, uh, and he's like oh like Matthew and he kind of has a touching moment like where he's kind of scared and he says. I may have existed, you know, forever, but I'm kind of new. And tomorrow I'm going to meet my, my family for the first time. And I'm afraid, which is, as you said, with Calliope is like not a version of dream. I would have ever thought, you know, kind of scared at this point. Um, we get uh, Mad Hetty's version of like her talking about her thoughts about Morpheus. And once again, it kind of throws me off to read because she has that thick Cockney accent. And this was uh, a bit of a chore to uh, read. So I don't know. Do you have anything on that, Joe? No, it just, again, the, the, the writing of her voice and the Cockney accent, this is the, I guess, most normal that she's drawn. And that's a, a credit to Michael Zuli's art. Um, and it's one of those things where she discusses that she would sometimes see dream in the waking world and she would always acknowledge him, but not make a big deal of it. And she felt as though he appreciated that. Yeah. Um, and also I like that she had all his treasures and coins over the years. And it's probably with her heart is where she keeps those treasures. Too. Um, so we get Nuala and Clark and, um, and she says, uh, you know, he's, he died because I love them. And he's, she's, he's trying to talk her out of it. Like, no, you know, it didn't happen. He's like, but, and because I love them, he's dead because I called him away. She's thinking, but it's not her fault. And back when death says, don't to Morpheus, don't you lay this, uh, on her. And it's true. She's going to have guilt, but she shouldn't. Um, and then she says, it's like when you were, you know, talking about, uh, the poems, she's like, I never kind of told you those poems he's like and when you took the glamour off me because only a, a fairy could take their own glamour he's like no nah, that doesn't sound like any of my poems and you find out that the person who did the poems in the the version of clear Kent she was talking to was the nemesis the stag if you will um who uh, did all that? And he's that, got the antlers now, but go ahead. Yeah, that Colerican created for himself when he strayed from the path very early in the Kindly Ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ends up coming up to Clericon and they kind of have it out, not like in a, in a, in a, you know, very elegant sort of way. And he's like, so when are you going to do it? He's like, I'm not going to do it here where I was born, you know, in the, in the dreaming. And I'm not going to do it in fairy where you spent your whole life. But, you know, it's going to come in the, in the wide world when you're out and you and get ready for it. Um, and Clerkant's kind of like, oh, you don't scare me. But then you kind of see him looking sad slash nervous. But then, like any time, he starts drinking again and the old Clerkant comes back and he's smiling and, and kind of jovial. And uh, I don't know how much of it's real and how much of it's not. But uh, that's the kind of the character. Um, so we get the Queen of Fairy discussing the, the Lord about him, and she basically, basically in the long and short of it, says, 
that these are my memories and they're none of your business kind of a deal. I'm going to keep them to myself, which sums her up as, as far as I'm concerned. Now I will also say this, you know, obviously she's in mourning and so forth. Um, but do you feel intentionally she is looking more like, um, one of the endless here on purpose? Maybe. I yeah. think it's just his art and he put her in a black because she's got pale skin and dark hair. It's mm. going to look like desire. It's going to look like any of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think they were kind of uh, kind of no matter what it was going to look like that with Zuli's art. But I um, think you could tell from um, the, the Queen of Fairies here getting the least amount of book time discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of gives you the hint that maybe she had the strongest feelings for him, for Morpheus. Or she, because she couldn't show, and also, like, uh, she couldn't show it, and, and royals are known for having their secrets, if that makes any sense. Right. It's like, it's not for the commoners to kind of know the comings and goings of of us. Um. So we cut back to uh, Dream Daniel and Matthew, and they're talking about, he says, you know, I saved your life back when the Corinthian threw the knife and killed that uh, dream, that evil dream creature. It was, uh, it was uh, you that I was, that I was trying to say, was that at this part or is that a little bit later? Uh, no, it's, 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 it's right here where um, uh, Daniel says to uh, Matthew, that his intervention is what stopped the um, um, Corinthian from killing him. Yes. Right. Now, this is an interesting thing because I can't find where I read it, but I definitely remember it unless I'm Mandela affecting it, was that Matthew was supposed to die. Corinthian was supposed to get his revenge for Matthew abandoning him because that was Corinthian's way. Um, and it was either Jeanette Kahn or Karen Berger got the script and said – what's going on here? Like, and they're like, Oh, I'm killing Matthew. And they're like this. And I forget if one of them even named a kid or a pet after Matthew or whatever, but they was their favorite character in Sandman says, you can't kill. Like, I'm not going to make you not kill Sandman or a Matthew, but, and, and, and Neil kind of like wavered on it and said, yeah, it's better to not kill him. And in the end he changed the story. So that blood originally on the throne back in the flashback, was uh, Matthew. So I always I always found that interesting. And I hate the fact that Sandman's a TV show now, so when I do any digging into it, all I get is Sandman TV show information. Uh. Makes it hard to do any research, man. Um. So when he also tells him that I can, you know, uh, make you not my raven anymore, and he's like, well, what will happen? Will it hurt? And he uh, he kind of flies off and runs into the the guards who should be at the wake, but they're like, no, we're not going to give up our, our duty. We'll stand here. And he's like, Oh, he Sandman made you back the Griffin. He's like, no, I'm a new one. He's like, but there, he said there were no more Griffins in the waking world. And he said, well, I come from a, you know, far, far away, uh, from the waking world. And, you know, I'm, I'm here now. So he's, I, I like that. He's not like Mervin or any of the others that Sandman brought back. It's, a new one and he's kind of you know a new version um so we get to see rose and and jed talking and they run into lida who she was the 
the the uh, Rose was the babysitter for Daniel. He's like, oh, I kind of want to get into your house, Carla. And Light is like, I don't know. And obviously, we know she's dead. But uh, and he ends up. Uh, he's like, what what are we here for? What are we doing? And I like that she's the only one. Light is the only one. Like they're having a party for a monster. They're celebrating a monster because obviously she he she still thinks that he killed Daniel. So uh, and she Rose ends up telling Lida that that she's pregnant and uh, Lida has has just such a somber amber. It's like just get rid of it, get rid of it before it breaks your heart. And you're like, oh okay, um, uh, have a nice He's like, day. Okay, yeah, see you later. <laughs> right, <laughs> and. Uh, there's like they're talking about like oh it's okay you always get you always get weird dreams when you're pregnant so that's all it is um, so they're now we're in Eve's cave and Lucian and Eve are kind of partying and I like that uh, the one on the, the the immortal on the ship with Hob is there um, from the hot that story and him and Lucian are old friends um, so and- do we know this for sure or is this just me speculating um. So we were told that there was a raven who went back to the living world, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that Lucian was the first raven. Right. And they're hanging out at Eve's cave, which is typically where Matthew hangs out. Is this guy a former raven? No, I'm going to go with this guy is the, like, obviously the story where he ate the apple. He's not oh, the raven. right. Okay. More, that's the one from Hob. That you know the story I'm talking about now. Yes, the sea serpent one. Yeah. So, um, and once again, they're offering him drinks. And Matthew asks Lucian the question. He's like, "Why did he let it happen?" And he's like, "I think he kind of did a little more than that than let it." Um, and in the end, you know, people one must change or die, and you know, he there's limits to how much he could change. And that's true. This is something we've seen countless times, and we've mentioned it change. So now we get to right. and not to not to not to interject, of course, but you know that's where we, having read this before, know from the very beginning at issue one, we get flashback stories and so forth, and then right up to the passing of Morpheus, um, you know, Lucian sends, and in the end, there were perhaps limits to how much he could let himself change. So it was a situation where, as Lucian says, one must change or die. And yep. as Morpheus, someone who was not um, ad- adept or wanting to change or whatever it was, he got to a point where he can change no more, and that was just the end of him. Yep. And I like that he does acknowledge there's a, perhaps a limit to how much he changed, because even Lucian said you did change at times, you know? Yeah. So I'm with you, everything. Um and now we get to see like Thessaly's uh, it, like thoughts on him in the relationship because we never saw any of that in the book. Um, we heard about it while it was going on, right? Oh, and afterwards when it went sideways, we we got a lot of rain in the book. Um, and she's basically said he seemed to like that there was someone who was not afraid of him, was would not cower to him. Um, and because she showed up in the dreaming, dreaming, and he's. He, he was taken aback by it, but soon they kind of, kind of, you know, w- became and had conversations. And he invited her to stay for a while, um, and they were, you know, we both kind of made people happy. He, he, you know, uh, and in, this is where she says, "I'm going to come back to Calliope." She goes, "In hindsight, 
I do not believe that I loved him. He loved me. I do not doubt that. He goes, I simply felt love for him burning and all consuming. And it reflected back as the cold light of the moon reflects the light on the sunlight. I I, I did not know that at the time. I thought I loved him. Um, So I have a feeling that's kind of like with Calliope, like the – the Morpheus she thought she saw was what she was s- reflecting her stuff back on him, if that makes any sense. I have nothing to prove that, but uh, that's kind of where I go with that. Um, and when it all goes sideways, he basically says that she kind he kind of just was like, okay, we're done. He shrugged and do as you will. Um, and he kind of like just... I want nothing to do with you. And that, that definitely hurt her. And he said, I went back to my life and I swore I would never shed another tear for him. And obviously in that panel, she's crying. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And in the end, I think Fessley might be full of something when she's talking about not loving Sandman. For sure. Um, so now in a great bit, and this is one of them that I constantly remember is Clark Kent. Uh, Batman and a Martian Manhunter discussing uh, their weird dreams, which obviously are all the comics talking about, you know, the one where I have an ant's head or I'm a gorilla um, and all that stuff. And he's like, don't you have that dream? Have you ever had that dream? And Batman's like, yes. Uh, The dream where an actor is doing you on television. And Batman's like, sure, doesn't everyone? And Martian Manhunter's like, I've never had that dream, which is pointed at the time. But as of five years ago, this joke really doesn't work because <laughs> Martian Manhunter was on Supergirl. But I think that's an absolutely brilliant bit. And the fact that DC characters are in it. And then this is one of those panels that DC made Michael Zuli redraw. The, the Batman, Superman, Martian Manhunter one or the next one? This one. Because okay. it was originally bigger and the panel was supposed to be... Uh, Superman or Clark Kent having like bunches of his costume hanging out the back of his suit like the cape and you could kind of see the head looks weird he was kind of looking back to see if the cape was hanging out because Neil thought uh, one of the dreams that Clark would have is like going to school naked for someone or something like that was would the most embarrassing thing for him would be his costume hanging out of his Clark Kent suit Okay, And the DC Superman offices told Neil Gaiman at this time that's too disrespectful to Superman. Change it. <laughs> so they closed the panel up, cut it off halfway, and you don't see the baggy costume. He kind of obviously redrew the head. And he goes, the sad part was that if you had gotten the full body, Batman is more animalistic. Like he might've had, he didn't say what it was, but Batman would have had like maybe bat legs because he dreams of himself as not a human, as more as a bat. And all that gets scrubbed because it was disrespectful to uh, Superman. Unbelievable. Yep. Um, Then we get the trench coat brigade. If you had read uh, the books of magic, that makes sense. Uh, But that's John Constantine, Dr. Colt and the phantom stranger. Uh, we get to see Hobgalding and the centaur from uh, the uh, World's End have a discussion. And I like that Hob has decided to time certain things that he's done over his lifespan. And uh, 
That's a lot of time he's he was doing <laughs> that act, Joe. A lot under the bridge, if you will. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so now someone calls down with a red hand, calls Matthew down, and Matt, and it's death and the rest of the endless. And he says, like, oh, I know all you I know you, then the one he's met, and uh you, I thought you only wear black, and he's talking to death, and she's like, Not today. And I love that bit that Death doesn't wear uh, black on the uh, at funerals for her family. She wears red, and it's stunning to see death in red, Joe. Mm. Um, uh, let's see. So they says, <laughs> "Go ahead." Uh, so I was gonna say, so Matthew is like, well, "I've met you two. I can guess who you guys are." And then Barnabas is there, and he's like, "And you uh, are dog," because everyone's <laughs> name begins with a D. Yeah, that is funny. Never really grasped that joke. Uh-huh. Um, so then he's talking to the endless, and they end up talking about like uh, that. This is where it's going to happen. The the heart of the dreaming. And he's like, well, this is the heart of dreaming, and that's the heart of the dreaming. And how many hearts does this have? And he's like, if anybody's going to talk about how many hearts something can have, um, it's desire. Uh, so they're like talking about the funeral the next day. Um, and how everyone has to, can talk and would you like to say uh, a, f- a few words and he's like do I have can, do I can I say no and they're like yeah he's like well you know what um I'm gonna do it and then the endless just kind of disappears and he's like oh where'd they go they're setting up their positions uh Eblis says um and I like that when Matthew starts thinking about uh, Morpheus and he's talking about uh, to, to Dog, to Barnabas, and he does the impression and the yes. word balloon is done in the, the, the way Morpheus would sound. So, you know, he actually got the impression right. And the dog even uh, uh, says it. And then he's like, well, we uh, we better go because there's going to be a few billion people here tomorrow. And we want to get a good seat for it. And the next issue is called In Which We Wake, Joe. And just one other thing, of course, the conversation between Matthew and Barnabas, um, where Barnabas kind of leads Matthew to talk about this and do the impersonation of Morpheus uh, to play off Matthew and Morpheus's conversation from a few issues prior, where Barnabas says, a dog biscuit for your thoughts, as opposed to a penny. That is the currency that Barnabas, of course, would be thinking of, dog biscuits. Right, and where he talks about wouldn't it be weird if, uh, you know, because it's like Tom Sawyer, they showed up at the funeral. And I think that's meant to just put a little, a little, like, thought in your head that Morpheus could show up for his own funeral somehow. But yes. uh, we'll see in this next issue of 72, Joe. Yep. Uh, also drawn by Michael Zuli. Um, so the ceremony is going to begin and all the endless are there. Um, and people are, you know, shuffling in for it and they ask Eblis if he's brought this the this the ceremony and he has and it's a big cloth with uh, the sigil of Sandman on it. And this is a shot that I love because my brain always processes it as he puts it on the empty slab, but as he's putting it on the empty slab, it looks like it's laying down over the body of Morpheus because obviously there's no body because dream is a an idea, not a human, but I think that's such a powerful visual for what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so now uh, Destiny is the oldest. His, his, uh, he's the MC, if you will. And he, he starts, you know, talking about the ceremony and, and he's just reading from the book and even people are acknowledging that. Um, I, and I like that he, so 
Destiny starts off, and I'll say Destiny's a little long-winded here, right? And uh, Desire is kind of needling him under their breath, and he says, I have very little to say, and by far says the most out of any member of the Endless. Yep. And, but in the end, he doesn't say anything deep or like, he just, he's matter of factly, you know what I mean? Like, because that's the way destiny is. Um, uh, and I just, you know, it's interesting. And so now we see Mad Hetty sitting next to uh, Hobgalding. And, you know, obviously because they're both immortal, she's like, oh, I thought you'd be dead for now. And as we know with Hob, he's not going to, he's like, no, not me. He's not going to die. I want to stay around. Um, so we see dream, this version of dream with the guards and they're talking, they're like, well, what are we doing now? And he's, he's kind of saying, uh, uh, what's, what's happening. Um, he's like, don't you wish you could be there? And he's like, no, I don't need to. Uh, I remember myself. I mean, I'm me after all, which is kind of a nice nod to the fortune cookie. Uh, you can be me after I'm gone. Um, and the, 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 the Pegasus is like, I don't understand. You're him, but you're not. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, in the thousands of years I have served him, he did not touch me as like Daniel's petting him. It's like maybe at the most, you know, he fed me some apples. But the, the fact of how different you are, like it would this would never happen. They're like, before they could talk anymore, someone's coming. And it looks very familiar. This person looks very familiar with his hobo bindle, Joe. So. Um, it's obviously destruction. Right. And it's one of those things where the guardians are like, do you recognize this person? And Daniel is like, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But maybe he kind of does. So Bast uh, gives her like eulogy kind of a deal. And she's like, oh, I don't know why we were never uh, lovers. Like she said that before, but I respected them. Um, uh, and basically it comes down to her saying, uh, the things left unsaid, he is gone and I am old kind of, but that's kind of, you know, the way people think at a funeral. Um, then we get Jed and, uh, Rose talking again, which is absolutely hysterical sitting between dark side and emperor Norton <laughs> for the bit. Um, didn't think I was going to see dark side in Sandman. Uh, and she basically talking about her being impregnant and, uh, she's like, are you going to tell mother? And he's like, maybe eventually. And he's like, well, that's cool. He's like, but I thought you said family suck. He's like, they rock and they suck. Um, which is a nice segue into desires, uh, eulogy. And she's saying the exact same thing in a law in a longer winded kind of desiry way. Um, he's like, if we weren't family, we could have gone our separate ways. Um, but we weren't, so we were intertangled. He is gone, uh, but I always thought he never had the sense to come in out of the rain. That's all I have to say. And she looks way too happy at this way, Joe. Um, so uh, destruction is there. They have a they they have he invites him in for food. Uh, he finally acknowledges that he knows who he is, and he's basically saying, "I'm going to give you a piece of advice." Uh. And I'm hoping that you'll that you'll take it. And he's like, because things change. He's like, yes, they do. So right there, Daniel admitting that things change is a notch up, and just the destruction's kind of kind of happy about that. The fact that he's starting with that sort of ability to have that mindset to have that ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, so despair does her bit, but I, I always feel that this is in her head and she really doesn't say much, but she ends up making them feel despair. And she ends up like talking about how she's the second one and that, uh, a lot of people forgot the first despair. Um, and she's never going to let that happen to Morpheus. If anything, you know, I'll always remember because it happened to me and I don't like it. She talks about how this is the second brother that she's lost. Of course, obviously Morpheus passing, the other one being Destruction who left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen before when the issue of Destruction comes up, how the departure of Destruction from the Endless has severely affected Despair. Mm-hmm. And how when she didn't get a chance to say one last goodbye, she could have went with Delirium that that's always going to stick with her and yep. delirium like shuts her down. That's, that's a great bit. Um, so now at the eulogy, who's here, Joe, but one of your boys, Wesley Dodds, the Sandman. Yes. Um, and he ends up giving like a little bit and he's like, Oh, I kind of ran into him at one time and we didn't say anything. I was like, John, I don't remember that in this comic. Do you? Oh, I think we're going to get to it in about two to three weeks. Okay. And in the end, he kind of says, maybe everything I am and went on to achieve is because of this dead gentleman. But who knows? I'll probably forget it all when I wake up. Exactly. Kind of aware of how the dreaming stuff sort of works as a mortal, if you will. Yep. Yep. Um, Maybe because he's, you know, a little closer than people, you know. Uh, Dumas, a beautiful bit where you think maybe the guy who's taking a vow of silence is going to say something, then doesn't. Um, but he cries and his teardrop, all the people at the funeral can see, like, I'm just going to dilute it down to like infinite, all possibilities, beauty, death, everything. Everything is in that one teardrop. Um, so now, uh, Matthew's like, what will I say? Like, just say whatever's in your heart. But now it's, delirium's turn and delirium doesn't want to do it she rattles off all the things she could be doing and they're all very very deliriumy things um yes and i love that barnabas is a good dog and says you have to and i'll i'll be there for you i'll be next to you and she says he was like my brother he was big i was scared of him he's gone i'm sad that's it i'm all that's all i got and that's as poignant and touching as delirium can be for a short period of time, Joe. Exactly. I'm, I'm shocked that they didn't um, straighten up her dialogue or word balloon or anything, even just for that one moment, but I'm glad that they didn't. Right. Or maybe even give her the two same color eyes for one hot second. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, So now destruction and dream are talking. He's like, basically one, I I told you as more of his, I'm going to go off to all the realms. You could come with me. You could walk away from all this. Like, and the bit where he's talking about how much trouble you can get into and how much trouble you can get out of very well written. He's like, thank you. It's, it's, it's well meant. Um, and I thank you for your advice, but, uh, I think I'm going to stay. And he talks about how they're yin and yang, uh, uh, optimism and entropy with dream and hope and destruction and everything. Like, yeah, should I tell him? We're here, and he's like, nah, that's not a good idea. I'm the black sheep. Better, you know, to do it. And will we meet again? He's like, wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, So I don't know if we're going to get that story in the last two issues or down the line, but I always want to read these possible stories. Yep. 
Um, so now it's Matthew's turn, and Matthew goes in the long and short of it. He's basically uh, he's like all these things I was going to say about him, about how he was a boss, friend, how he died, blah blah blah. Uh, but in the end, I was told of what was in my heart, and all that's in my ha- heart is a lot of sorrow and a little regret. Um, and the memory of the coolest, strangest, most infuriating boss, friend, boss I ever had. That's what. And just the line of a lot of sorrow and a little regret can be at any funeral, Joe. Yep. Um, so now we get more, you know, people giving uh, this thing. And, and Neil said if this issue could have been 80 pages, all these people would have talked and he had stuff for them to say. Um there's the man who's a bear who, you know, chewed off his shadow and everything. He's there in that panel that's just below him. If you look off to the right, Neil Gaiman and Michael Zuli are in there. Um, off to the left, one of them is Sandman, or not Sandman, uh, Alice Cooper, because at the time uh, they were getting ready to do the Alice Cooper comic. So I, th- I thought that intriguing. We get Odin. We get the, the Lord of Chaos with the balloon. We get the, the, the travel agent that was once a god. We get Dream's other girlfriend who died and was at the end of Game uh, Game of You. Uh, all fascinating. I think, like, I don't know who we didn't get in, in all of this. Um, so uh, we see the body and, you know, the, the place just transforms into a bridge and it's dream logic. So we don't question it. Uh, and now Morpheus's body is on a, a barge heading down the river. And Neil said he was going to have, he had a big speech. Already. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. I want to interject here. Okay. Cause I, 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 I looked up a bunch of different versions of this, right? Mm-hmm. So this is not in this, the single issues. This is not in the trade paperbacks. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the hardcover. Okay. Right. This page is in here. And again, it's a lot to read, but it says, as Neil was writing The Wake, the last Sandman story, he realized that in order to give the scene of Morpheus' final passage its full weight, he needed a few extra pages. Unfortunately, because of the constraints of a monthly comic that was also a wee bit late, we didn't have that opportunity, ooh, there's that word, and those pages were never drawn. So we decided that the perfect place to include this lyrical and poignant scene would be in the hardcover collection of The Wake. But we wanted to make sure that these never-before-seen pages were made available to people who might not be purchasing that collection. So we chose to include them in this issue of The Dreaming. And I don't know what issue of The Dreaming this is for a number of reasons. It was a self-contained story that preceded The Wake collection by a week. And synchronicity would have it. The story also happened to be illustrated by Michael Zuli. Um, it seems fitting that somehow that the boat which carried Morpheus away in Sandman should continue its journey here in the Dreaming. After all, death is a transition. Speaking of death, and it gets into, you know, so on and so forth. Um, now back to those lost pages. Uh, the new extended scene follows page 16, and each of the Endless has paid his or her respects to Morpheus, and death in her infinite finality has just bade her brother goodbye. Born on a dark swan-shaped barge, the Dream Lord's linen-wrapped form begins to float down the star-scattered waters of night. Right. So apparently this is th- these things did get published in an issue of The Dreaming some time ago. But yes, they're not it, included in what I found here. Right. In the digital version that I use on my tablet, Joe, yes. this is all in there. 
Oh, okay. Yep. And the only thing I was going to say is, like, he said on page 16 before we get these pages is that he had a long soliloquy by death to give to – or it would be a speech, not a soliloquy, to the people. But he could not find time for it or even the pages, and they had to cut them short. And she says – now, and the thing says, now the girl in the red dress talks to you all as the boat begins its passage down the stream. And her words make sense of everything. She gives you peace. She gives you meaning. And she bids goodbye to her brother. And I'm like, that, I think that's way more beautiful than any speech death would have given. So I absolutely love it. And then these pages are Nada gets uh, uh, one last look at in the, the reincarnated Chinese body as it's going by. And we get a little bit more because there is one page regularly where Orpheus or the memory of Orpheus or whatever kind of watches his father go off, you know, into space uh with the with the boat and it changes into a star uh in the dreaming sky which is a nice nod because for the rest of this issue anytime there's a window or a shot of outside that star is featured prominently um so they're like okay what's gonna happen everybody goes back to the waking world um we cut to daniel who's sitting on the throne and Hippolyta comes in and she keeps the bit here where she keeps calling him Daniel, like through uh, various word balloons. And he keeps saying no. And he's like, he was born, he was burned away. And the immortal soul is me now. Um, And because he was born, burned away, you're not related to me anymore. So I don't have to worry about the kindly ones. If I take, you know, your life. And she's like, I only kind of did it for you. But in that, she lost Daniel forever. Um, and she's like, I'm worried what's going to happen. He says, well, you know what? The, the person who did the original despair in, you know, uh, is going to take forever to die. And uh, he had better cause to do with the, than what you did. Um, but he's like, come to me. And he hugs her. He, he hugs her one last time. And he says, I've put my mark on you like the mark of Cain. No one will ever hurt you. Uh, go in peace. And I think that's a touching, touching moment because Lida was like going to be running for the rest of her life. And Neil also puts her back in case anybody in the DC universe ever wants to use her again, which is a nice, put the toys back occasionally the way they were in comics, you know? Right. Um, that, that, that makes sense. Right. So now uh, Dream asks, like, you know, do, what do you want to do with all this, Matthew? And he says, you know, you know, I didn't want to I don't want to be your 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 raven. He's like, oh, OK, but the funeral's over and you're naive and all this and you're going to need guidance. And I like the way he kind of like BS his way into like, I'm going to kind of stick around for a while. And he gives him advice as he's going to meet his family. Um, and as they're walking through the halls, they run into young Alec Burgess. Um, and you think once again, Daniel's much softer. He's like, I can't find my way home. He's like, here, I give you the candle. Uh, this will light your way home. And he finds his way home, uh, to his loved one, which is like, you know, a nice little touch. Um, and now we see all the main characters that we know that they and they say like, and this person woke up and that person woke up. And as we're going, which helps a lot is the different word balloons to show who's talking and despair saying like, I understand how he feels. He's going to be scared. 
Uh, so let's be good to this one. I'm going to be good to this one. And they're like, we all will. And then obviously Des- Desire's word balloon is like, let's see how this guy shapes up before we start being nice. Because <laughs> that's obviously uh, uh, Desire's kind of way with uh, dream, if you will. Um, and they all, everybody looks happy, Joe. Uh, Anuala. Uh, Raj uh, Murdoch, who was the guy who was the writer who had the muse, he looks happy. Even Lida looks happy. But does Hob look happy when he wakes up, Joe? No, he does not. No, he does not. And I like that uh, desire or des- delirium's getting ready, and she's trying to eat stuff, but she doesn't like colors. And this made me laugh out loud. She goes, uh, "I like to eat all the colors except for tur- turquoise." Uh, the shells are too crunchy kind of a deal. And they're like, those are turtles. She's like, no, I think they're called turquoises. That's not a joke for Delirium, but I think that's fantastic. And then we get the last page, Joe, which to me is one of the most powerful pages. Do you want to take it? Yes. Uh, so obviously this was leading up to the billions of billions of people that were going to be here. Uh, Daniel ends it by saying, there, they're all awake, all but one. Uh, Matthew asks Daniel if he's scared, um, tries to give him some words of advice, um, and Matthew says to him, the king is dead, long live the king, and then, fighting to stay asleep, wishing it could go on forever, sure that once the dream was over, it would never come back, you woke up, and it's Daniel opening up the door, the rest of his family, Sans, uh, Destruction, are there at the table waiting for him. And as you had mentioned, the star that Morpheus turned into is out the window. So again, of course, watching over all of these proceedings. And as from the beginning of these two issues that we talked about, um, you, the reader, us, are included in those folks that are attending all of this as we're reading this. Uh, a very clever way to bring all of this around. I love this scene. The way it gets over that it makes you as the reader feel important because you're the last one. You're the one with the last bit of knowledge. You go in there like you can't be privy to the conversation between the family, but you were the last one to see them. And I think, I mean, that is to me one of the most brilliant takes in like all of comics I don't know. It's just it's it's just so good. I have so many thoughts about this, but we'll be here for like hours. But this issue is the issue that is I look back and has affected me the most because even when like he's talking, he's like, you're fighting to stay awake um, or asleep. You don't want it to go on because as a reader, you don't want this issue to end, Joe. This it, you know, this there's two issues, three issues left. But this is the end of Sandman. And he writes it up as you're the last one, you're special, and you're fighting to keep Sandman from going away. But it's inevitable, and there's an inherent sadness about that, and totally genius. Um, just an amazing, amazing issue. That's all and I said. So, and we got two more issues to talk about next week. We got 73 and 74. Uh, and then the week after that, we got 75, and then we got to parse everything out uh, after for there, right? Right. It's I, I've been loving this. It's great. Yep. 
So I'm not good. sure what more there is to say in regards to Sandman at this point, you know? Yeah. How many times can we say it's good, Joe? Yeah. Um, and, like, maybe you haven't been able to do the reread with us along as we've been doing it, but hopefully our discussions of this uh, is going to inspire you at some point in the future to to pick it up again, pick it up for the first time, pick it up for the first time in a long time, whatever it is. I've really been enjoying uh, this walk, uh, and you know, we still got like another two months left of stuff. There's still a lot more Neil Gaiman Sandman stuff to cover, but more importantly, there's a lot more of our stuff to cover. You know, we mentioned, of course, the website longboxheroes.com. Be sure to check out our store. We got shirts and pins and stickers. Shoot me an email, shoot me a message. We'll work out a deal. I'll get something sent to you. Uh, the T Public sale is going on this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, as we are recording this, I think that sale pops up on uh, Thursday and Friday of this week, 35% or Thursday uh, to Saturday this week. 35% off any and all designs inspired by things from the soon-to-be-named network, this show, and other shows. Um, don't forget to do your pigskin pickums. Todd does a good job of getting that tweet reminder out on Thursday. Um, the current standings have me in third, but really sixth, <laughs> and Todd in 11th, but really 11th. There you go. So, again, I'm still uh, doing great with all my uh, strategy and stuff that I do, and I know football real good, right? Yep. All right. There's only a few more weeks left. There's only like a dozen or so. Yes. I do like seeing all this past weekend, all the different teams being mathematically eliminated from uh, the Major League Baseball uh, pennant race. Um, right. How many weeks before your favorite team is eliminated from uh, Super Bowl contention? Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not saying you. I'm saying you, your favorite team. The listeners. Oh, uh, the Royal you got gotcha. you. Yes. Um, so of course, uh, also we mentioned it before, we'll mention it again, the Patreon, patreon.com slash longbox heroes, uh, as little as a dollar a month, you're going to get two bonus shows from Todd and myself. One is previewing the past, uh, where we look at 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog. We gave you a little taste with that write up about Sandman 57, the big four part finale of the book, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, <laughs> also we have. Uh, comic book oddities where we look at some of these stranger, weirder, odder, pre-MCU comic book movies. Uh, the current one that's up there is the 1990 version of Captain America, which I think is one of the best ones that we've done to date. Uh, Pat myself on the back. And then for October, we're going to be watching the 1986 HBO staple, uh, Howard the Duck. Oof. Can't wait. Oof, indeed. Uh, $5 a month is going to get you those shows two weeks before everyone else. No matter what level you're at, you're also going to get the full scans of the preview catalogs. I know we're not recording October till next week, but the full October catalog is up there now for all patrons. And the $5 a month folks also get After Dark two days before everyone else, so you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Correct. Last but not least, let's get into the... Third to last episode of Ahsoka. Yep. Um, even though talked about at the beginning of the show, this being a chopperless episode, this right. might have been the best episode of the show so far. Right. We'll get to the beginning at the end, but uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you, except for one thing, kind of throws me off for this whole episode. Um, and again, I don't know how much stuff we can kind of get into in regards to this. So much of this is. 
uh, Balin holding up his agreement to Sabine that if you surrender now and you come with me, um, I will let you go and find your friend Ezra and I will met you, give you everything that you need to do so. Obviously, him being a dirtbag, I'll let you find him, but you ain't gonna, you're gonna find him, but neither one of you is coming out of this alive, right? Right. Uh, and also, this episode is the big reveal um, of our villain, our main villain of all of this, which is Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I tell you, they treat this like a big deal. So whether mm-hmm. you know this character or not, you know he's a big deal. Whether it's the music that plays, whenever he's on screen, whether it be the way that the other characters... Uh, kind of treat him with a level of respect that has not been seen since a Vader or Emperor type character in the live action Star Wars stuff. Again, I will preface this, I have not seen uh, Rebels or Clone Wars, so I don't know how all of that was handled there. Um, there's a lot of great shots in this. There's a great shot of the reveal of when Thrawn's Star Destroyer shows up. That is right. one of the coolest shots I've ever seen. Obviously, CG enhanced. They didn't really get a giant Star Destroyer there. What? Um, yeah, listen, I'm just saying. Um, but, you know, we get the big reuniting with Sabine and Ezra. Um, I saw people complaining online. And again, Todd, I know you're going to be surprised by this, but people will just complain about anything for any reason. Right. I know you're surprised to hear that. But I am. I'm like, taking it back. People were like, why did they cast an actor who looks like the way Ezra was drawn in the cartoon? Is that a really like, complaint? I saw, like, so I had it spoiled for me that they find Ezra in this in this episode. I had a feeling they were going to find him by the end of the thing. I just didn't know it was going to be this episode. But there were people who were doing side-by-side comparisons of his animated version and his live-action version, saying, like, oh, they should have got a different actor by casting an actor who looks as close to the animated version, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, really? This is, what, this, this is, this is today's this argument? Is- Right, this is how far down the, the, the BS ladder we're going? Yeah, yeah. Um, but as all of this, uh, you know, goes on, you know, there's there's a lot of discussion of, you know, the, the Jedi and everything else like that. Um, we, we meet, um, what's her, uh, Morgan Elizabeths. We get the three mothers, the three witches. And again, they're talking about the thread that ties everything together. Together. And Todd, a lot of this feels very familiar. Mm. You know, three witches, a thread, and characters, and, you know, change, and maybe a death looming. Oh, no. <laughs> and then we woke up. Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, I, I will say this a couple things that were on my mind um, because. He ends up saying, like, Thrawn says to Sabine, you can go find him. I'll give you everything you need. And everybody's like, oh, well, how did Thrawn not find him all these years knowing where he is? I think Thrawn does not have the crew that everybody thinks he has. Um, because they're like, okay, we're going to send them out and we're going to send the two, we're going to send her out and then we're going to send the two Jedi that we have after her to wipe her out. And they're like, oh, well, we should send a few, like, troops with this. Like, I'll send two. He goes, two. 
Um, he's like, oh, he's like, I've been decimated a little bit. I, you know, we're fine. But I think he's lying through his teeth. I think what we see walking around, they're on a skeleton crew. And his whole plan is, I knew the Jedi were going to come and get me because we we're using the Force. But I want them, I want to strand them all here so there's even less Jedi back home when I get back to take over. So I think Thrawn's about to, like, triple cross everybody um that being said i'm taken aback by thrawn with a gut i know that's my that's my somebody who looks like the animation bit but i'm like oh my god every like mental thought of thrawn i have in my head is from the books or the comics or the old stuff where he's string bean thin and he always like walks with his arms behind his back with that like like that like I'm better than everybody look and seeing him old and kind of out of shape. I'm like, my brain has to process this because I always thought when they said uh, Matt Smith from Doctor Who was going to be in Star Wars, that he was going to play Thrawn because he doesn't have to be old. Uh, aliens age at different rates. So I, I was like, ah, I don't know. But as an actor, I'm like, okay, he's good as Thrawn. I don't know if any of that. That's my little, uh, you know, na- uh, nitpick the way when people look like animation, you know? And I will say, even though Thrawn may have a skeleton crew, I think really all he needs is Enoch. What a cool look that is for a stormtrooper, huh? Right, where his helmet is brought, like, and their armor's patched together. Kind of the way Kylo Ren's helmet was put back together in red, though. Remember, like, when he shattered it, he he, he molded it back? And I'm wondering if we're sowing the seeds for the, the new the new order that the, that the evil guys are? I don't know. Could be, Joe. Yeah. But, um, uh, but you know, oh, go ahead. Anything else you want to mention about this? Uh, just the beginning of the episode, if I could. Go ahead. The episode is when they're, you know, when they're doing their best Pinocchio and flying in the Purgles. Um, so it's uh, Huyang and uh, Ahsoka. And they're just talking. And she's like, I miss the days when you used to tell me stories, you know. And he's like, well, I, I have a few now. Would you like me to, to tell you one? She's like, yes. And he basically goes, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Joe, I think they're saying he's the guy who writes the cross for the movies, Joe. This is the guy who keeps all the stories. So in my mind, a new hope empire and Jedi, he's the one who's telling us the story. I did like the bit um, where they say that there was three stories. Um, mm-hmm. And Ahsoka says, I always like the first one, the best. Right. I don't know. Could he be the one who's telling us them in the movies? Yes. So is he the, the best droid ever? Definitely. Uh, listen, I'm just saying he's the best droid this episode because Chopper's not here. Best all around. Because with no him, no trilogy, original trilogy. Who was going to tell us the story? Chopper mm. with his little weak droid arms? I don't think so. Weak? Weak. Weak. How dare you know you. what? The arms are weak. If it wasn't for the head spinning really fast, you would have never been able to throw that uh, that tracking device. <laughs> I say he's got the strongest uh, arms of any astromech droid around. How about that? That is, he has those <laughs> those inch and a half diameter guns. <laughs> That's right. Those inch and a half pythons, brother. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, but we only got two episodes left. Um, you know, we mentioned it last week, and I think last week was really the one that hit the most. Um, 
that if you were watching those animated series, Rebels and Clone Wars, that this is going to really hit for you. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Todd and myself not having watched those, um, you know, outside of like a, a step or two here, this has been a really good Star Wars series. Right. You know, it feels different. The action is different. Um, like I said, the shot composition. I, I feel as though this one is like they're trying. You know, I, I think some of the other ones and, and what was um not Obi-Wan, what was the other one that was like more of like uh leading into the, the, the three new movies? Um, there was uh, the only ones that we had was the Book of Boba Fett. We have Mandalorian and Andor. Those were the Andor, Andor, right? Andor that was, was something. Andor was something a little bit different, but it wasn't like the big sweeping epic like this feels like, where they're doing, you know, more lightsaber battles. You're getting more fights. Um, Andor was like a little bit more of a thinking person's story, right? And I, I would argue to say that Andor and this, at least bits and pieces and maybe looks they're kind of dipping a little bit more into some Star Trek stuff. Okay. Instead of just you doing like this space opera where like the three witches feel as though they stepped off of a Star Trek show or movie. Okay. Uh, Like the look of them, like they never really had characters like that in the mainline Star Wars stuff and or where you know there's there's espionage stuff there's planning there's all that sort of stuff we would get a little bit of that in star wars but that felt a little bit more star trek ish to me not saying that's good or bad i'm just saying i I feel as though star wars over the last couple series have felt that they need to change the formula a little bit don't really mess with mando but like some of the other stuff we can't just do a paint by numbers, put a, the name of a character on there that you all recognize and love, and everyone's going to watch it and love it. Right. I think they kind of, you know, learn their lesson on some stuff. You have to do have. That's why at least I like the Marvel shows, because none of the Marvel shows were anything like the other Marvel shows that they were putting on. Whether you disliked them or didn't like them, at least they weren't cookie cutter versions yeah. of each one. So, yeah. you know, which I think you have to do sometimes. But, like I liked Obi Wan, but Obi Wan was very like paint by numbers, right? And the problem with Obi Wan, and to a lesser extent Andor, because I didn't care because Andor was written and directed so well, is that for a lot of the points, it's like okay, when you do these prequel moves things, the plot armor is unbelievable because you know no these people aren't dying if that makes any sense. So you're like okay, it's you have to get invested in the danger on some of the side characters. Because you know they're going to make it every time. Yeah. Anyway. That makes sense. So. so that's all I got for Star Wars. That's all I got for Ahsoka. That's all I got for the podcast. How about that's you? That's all, all I have. I'm ready to check out. Perfect. So, hey, thanks everyone for listening. This was episode 677 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars. 